Well, good evening, everybody. It is good to see you all tonight. Thank you for being here. We've got more that are walking in. I'm sure we'll have more that come in as they drop their kids off in class and everybody gets situated. But we're going to start with the prayer and then we'll jump in with at least one discussion question. So let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer as we begin tonight. Father, we are incredibly thankful for this evening, for this opportunity to come together and to share some time studying scripture, thinking about who you are, thinking about the life that we have because of you and in you and through you. Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us through creation, through the scriptures, and especially through your son, Jesus. Father, we pray that as we attempt to fix our eyes on Jesus tonight and every day of our lives, that you will give us clarity and insight, wisdom and discernment. Help us, Father, to see things as they truly are. Help us to see the world as it truly is. Help us to see Jesus as he truly is. Help us to see you as you truly are tonight and every night. Father, thank you for those that are gathered here tonight in this room and online. And Father, we pray that we can encourage and edify one another as we open up the scriptures together. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Okay, so we've been talking about some of the attributes, the characteristics, the qualities of God who is like the Lord, who is God, who is God. And we all sort of struggle with that in one way or the other, don't we? To know who God is. And we struggle to know who God is because God is transcendent. God is incomprehensible. God is bigger than we can wrap our minds around. God is up there in heaven, unseen. And we are here on the earth in the seen, visible realm. And so we struggle to understand God. But thankfully, God has and is and will reveal himself to us. He reveals himself to us through nature, through scripture, through his son. And so we've been talking about some of the ways that God has revealed himself to us so that we can know God. Uh, and one of the things we're going to talk about tonight is holiness. So when you think of that word holy, think about the word holy, what are some of the related words that come to your mind? What, what words do you associate with holy? I won't ask you to give a, a definition necessarily, but what are some of the other related words that you think of when you think of holy? Set apart, yeah, set apart. Sacred, yeah, good word, sacred. Sanctified, yes, good, all good words. Yeah, these are all really good. Sanctified, set apart, sacred, yeah, all words relating to holiness. Godly, yeah, absolutely. Otherly, good word. I love that one for sure. Otherly, yeah. What else? Anything else that comes to your mind? Say that again. Above all. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Above all. That's good. Yeah, very good. Above all. We tend to think a lot, and, and I'm, I'm really impressed that nobody even went in this direction because this is where we tend to limit our thoughts about holiness, and it's not wrong, certainly it's not wrong, uh, but a lot of times when we, when we talk about holiness, we, we sort of limit it to one particular category. Anybody want to take a guess on what category we tend to? Like, for instance, let me say it this way. If somebody says, well, aren't you holier than thou, right? Holier than thou. What do we mean when we say somebody is is holy, if, if we just kind of throw that around, that person really thinks that they're holy or they're holier than thou, what category are we sort of putting that in? 
maybe like morals or ethics, like we're, we're, we're saying that somebody is good, right? So sometimes we think about holiness as far as morality, holiness as far as righteousness, holiness as far as doing what's good, what's ethical, what's right, what's moral. And so if somebody says that somebody else is holier than thou, they, they're saying that they think that they're better than other people, right? They think that they're more moral, more ethical than other people. And that's not wrong. Certainly, Holiness has something to do with morality, uh, but a lot of times we, we sort of limit it to, to um, that, that category of morality, and I think that we have to have a little bit bigger definition, and some of the things that you guys brought up already tonight, uh, set apart and sacred, uh, otherly, I love that word, um, some of those ideas might give us a, a little bit bigger category about uh, holiness. L- let's look at a, a, a passage, and, and some of you may remember um, that we did a series, it's been probably two or three years ago, upstairs on a Wednesday night, maybe it was a Sunday night, I don't remember, but we did a series on Leviticus, uh, and I, I called that series The World's Most Unusual People, because that's what Leviticus is, is God calling his people to be, as Nicole said, otherly, to be unusual and different. Look at Leviticus chapter 11, starting at verse 44. If we are going to talk about holiness I don't think there's a better book to go to than the book of Leviticus because Leviticus is all about God's holiness and how he's calling his people, the Israelites, to be holy as he is holy. But look at what it says here in Levit- Leviticus 11:44. He says, for I am the Lord your God, consecrate, there's another good holiness word, consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves. And then he says, for I am the Lord, there's a blank there for a reason, for I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God, you shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Now, if you're not looking at the context and you don't know what goes in the blank there that I left out of the the verse on purpose, you might think you would defile yourselves by doing what? What might you do? What's What's a word for how you might defile yourself? Sinning? Is that what somebody said? Yeah, sinning. Yeah, right? So, so you would think something sinful, right? Maybe sexual immorality. Don't defile yourselves with sin. Don't defile yourselves by doing something that's bad or wrong. Again, we have this tendency to limit holiness to morality, to doing what's right or not doing what's right. And so when we think about being defiled, we might think that that's doing something sinful. But look at what the, the text actually says. It says, do not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. The the context is about what you eat, right? It's about certain kinds of food that you can eat or not. Verse 46, this is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. So again, There's all kinds of laws about holiness and defilement in the book of Leviticus, but here, as God is saying in this particular context, I'm holy, and I'm calling you to be holy, so don't defile yourselves. And he's not talking about anything moral or ethical. He's talking about something ceremonial, right? Something cultural, something about what you eat. Don't defile yourselves by what you eat. Now, this word right here is really important, the word that I've underlined, distinction, because that's really what holiness is all about, isn't it? It's about distinction. It's about being distinct. It's about being different. It's about being unusual. It's about being um, 
set apart otherly, as has already been said. So when we say that God is holy, holy is about being wholly different. I couldn't resist that, that play on words, but it's about being wholly different, completely different, totally different. Being holy is about being wholly different. Those that are just listening to the audio probably won't understand the play on words, W-H-O-L-L-Y, wholly different, completely different. And so that's what it is to say that God is holy, meaning that God is holy, completely, totally different than what? What is God different than? What's that? Different than man, absolutely. What else? What is, what is everything that is not God? God is the only thing that is not what? Created, right? So it, there's God and then there is creation, right? So God is wholly different than his creation, right? Everything that God, is, that God has created, God is wholly different than that, whatever it is. Now, you could draw metaphors and you could, you could use certain things in creation to say, well, God is, is zealous. God is jealous for his people like a fire. God is like a wind. God is like a, a, an earthquake. God is like a, a still small voice. God is like this. God is like that. And you could use these different metaphors. But at the end of the day, God is wholly different. He is completely different. He is completely different than mortals. He is completely different than all of his creation. And so when this holy God, who is wholly different than every other God, because all of the other gods, and I, we can put that in quotes, right? All of the other gods are, are not gods, but even if they were gods, they were the creation of, of people's minds, right? And God is wholly different than those gods. He's wholly different than the idols that people worship. He's wholly different than a piece of metal or a piece of stone or a piece of wood. He's wholly different than a human being. He is completely, totally, wholly different than everything else. And then this holy God calls his people, calls a group of people, first of all, to be his people. And then he says, be holy as I am holy. So if being holy is about being wholly different, completely different, totally different, then what would it mean for God's people to be holy? To be wholly different, right? To be completely different than whom? Everybody else, right? Everybody else. And that's why the word for everybody else, in English, it's Gentiles, right? The Gentiles, you had the Jewish people, and then you had everybody else. A Gentiles just means the nations, everybody else. Usually now in Christian circles, we say the world, right? The world, it's just everybody else. There's God's people, and then there is the world, the, the natural world, the other nations, the people that don't know God. And God says, be holy people, be different and that's the, that's the whole purpose behind things like a distinguishing, a, a distinction between different kinds of foods, right? These kinds of foods are clean. These kinds of foods are unclean. Make a distinction and don't defile yourselves with these kinds of foods because you are my people. And all of these things are symbolic ways of reminding you, reminding them, and living out this holy differentness, this otherliness. Be otherly. Don't be like them. Now, does that mean 
Does that mean don't have anything to do with them? It, it kind of got taken that way sometimes, right? It kind of got taken that way sometimes. Even Jonah fell into that trap, didn't he? Even a prophet of God like Jonah had this idea that because we're God's holy people, we're different than those other people, we're special people, then God loves us more and God gives us grace and mercy. But what happens when God wants to give grace and mercy to the other people, to the nations, to the Assyrians? What does Jonah think about that? No, that's, that's not okay. You, your grace and mercy is supposed to be for us. Not understanding that the whole reason, the whole reason God called Israel to be wholly different, to be a holy people, to be otherly, was so that he could bless all nations of mankind. Not to hoard the blessings of God, but to be a conduit for the blessings of God so that those blessings could go out into the world. But a lot of the things that we, again, associate with holiness, we think about morality, right? We think, and some of them are. Some of the things that God would say, be holy, like don't do this and don't do that. And some of those things are sins, but other things are more symbols. And they're symbols that are reminders about their own mortality. So holiness is as much about mortality as it is about morality, right? As we look through the book of Leviticus, we see that it's not just about morality, it's also about mortality. Because a lot of the things that God would say, don't do this because this will defile you. Don't do that because this will defile you. Don't touch this, don't eat that. Eating certain kinds of foods, Leviticus chapter 11. Giving birth to a child, Leviticus chapter 12. Contracting a skin disease, Leviticus 13 and 14. Having a bodily discharge, Leviticus chapter 15. Like, which one of those is a sin? None of them, right? None of them are a sin. But if you had a bodily discharge, or you gave birth to a child, or you had a skin disease, or you touched a dead body, or you ate a certain kind of food, it wasn't necessarily that it was a sin, it was a symbol, a reminder of their humanity and their mortality. Again, if God's holiness means God is otherly, God is wholly different than mortals, and then he calls his people to be a different kind of human being. It's almost like he calls them to be something other than, something more than mortal human beings. Something more than just a regular, ordinary mortal. But they were mortal. And every now and then, and more than every now and then, just regularly living their life would bring them into contact with constant reminders that we're mortal, right? Because you couldn't, you couldn't avoid these kinds of things. These kind of things just happen. You, you happen to do these things in the regular course of life, life. Look at Numbers chapter 19, starting in verse 11. Numbers 19, 11 and 12. Whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean for seven days. He shall cleanse himself with water on the third day and on the seventh day and so be clean. But if he does not cleanse himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not become clean. Whoever touches a dead person, the body of anyone who has died and does not cleanse himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from Israel because the water for impurity was not thrown on him. He shall be unclean. His uncleanness is still on him. 
And then in verse 16, whoever in the open field touches someone who was killed with a sword or who died naturally or touches a human bone or a grave shall be unclean for seven days. Was it, was it because those things are inherently sinful to touch a grave or to touch a dead body? No. And if you had a family member that died, you, you were supposed to take care of your family member, but you also had to recognize that you're going to be unclean for this number of days. And if, you, if this happens or if that happens, if you have this discharge or you touch this blood or you're sick or, or this happens, you're going to be unclean for a certain amount of time. There were these constant reminders to be something different, be something more than just a, an an ordinary human being because you are called to be a different kind of people. But then there were these constant reminders that, yep, you're still mortal. You're still mortal. You're still mortal. And these constant reminders, blood and bones and graves, are constant reminders of their own humanity and their own mortality. But it, it would be easy to get to the point, wouldn't it, if, if you thought this way about the world, and especially as time went on and the Jewish people tried to keep these holiness laws and be different, for them to, to sort of, because we, we have this tendency to do this anyway, don't we? To become sort of proud and arrogant and to think we're the holy people and they're the messed up people out there. Those people in the world, those people in the nations, they're the other people. And, and so defilement comes from out there, right? Defilement comes from out there, from the world, from the Gentiles, from the unbelievers, from the people that aren't God's people. And so there's us and there's them. And those people, they're, they're what causes defilement. So the Jewish people, if they would travel anywhere, I got to make sure I get clean because I want to wash off all those Gentiles because I don't want to get defiled by all those Gentiles. And if I touch this thing, well, it's possible a Gentile touched that before I did. Or if I use this road, probably a Gentile was there before I was. If I travel through a Gentile country, I got to get the dust off of my feet even because I want to get that defilement off of me from that. What's, what's implied with that way of thinking? That way of thinking assumes that defilement comes from out there. And Jesus brings a, a realization that defilement doesn't come from out there. Where does defilement come from? In here. This is where defilement comes from. It isn't just them out there. There were, again, all of these constant reminders that Israel had. There was nobody, even in Israel, even with all of the purity laws, even with all of the holiness laws, even with all of these laws to say God is a holy God and God is like fire and you're like paper people and you come into God's presence and you'll just be consumed because he is so otherly and you are so very mortal. And then he, he would give them these laws so that they could sort of approach God, but just for a moment, just kind of get into his presence for just a moment. But then something happens just in the natural course of life. Just natural course of life, blood or death or bones or graves or whatever. And this constant reminder of just getting pushed back out a little bit. This constant reminder that I'm still mortal and I still struggle and I'm not there and I, I want to be in his presence and he wants to be in my presence and we want to be together, but he is just so holy, so otherly, so different, so set apart, and I'm so mortal and I want to be where he is. But instead of that humility that acknowledged that mortality of self, that struggle of self, that carnality of self to say, 
you know what? I'm no different than the Gentiles. We're all descendants of Adam and we all struggle with this sin. And, and thankfully, God has given us his law and his presence and his temple and his people and his promises. God's given us these things, but we're no better. We're no different. We still struggle. We're not, we're not able to just walk into God's presence. We have to offer these sacrifices over and over and over and over and over and over again. And what does it ever really fix? Do we stop being mortal? Do we stop dying? Do we stop having blood and skin diseases? And do we stop struggling with sin? No. But instead of recognizing that and seeing that and seeing that the problem with defilement was in here and not out there, you had people like the Pharisees that sort of thought, yeah, it's, it's all those people and not just the Gentiles, but all these Jewish people that are compromising with the Gentiles and you've got all these Greek-speaking Jews and you guys need to shape up and stop doing that and keep the Sabbath better and do this better and tithe that better. And if you just kept the law, then the Messiah would come and the kingdom would come and it's not me, it's y'all and y'all keep messing up. And Jesus would remind them over and over and over again, no, 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 no. It's not the problem out there. It's the problem in here. If you really want to be where God is, if you really want to be holy as God is holy, if you really want to come into his presence and be truly reconciled to him, you got to stop pointing the finger out there and realize that the problem is in here. Look at Matthew chapter 15, verse 17. Of course, they were always on Jesus' case, not washing their hands before they ate. I mean, again, the whole problem isn't germs. Like sometimes we read Leviticus or we read some of these, these ceremonial laws and things and we think, oh, they, they must have known about germs. No, 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 it's not about germs. It's not about viruses. There's some practicalities with some of these things like don't touch this and don't touch that. But it's about being, it's about being otherly. It's about defilement. It's about God teaching them where the true problem lies. And they're, they're all in Jesus' case because they're not eating, they're not washing their hands, ceremonially cleansing themselves before they eat food. And why did they want Jesus and his apostles to do that? Well, because you don't know where that's been and Gentiles might have touched that. And if, if an unholy person touches this thing and then this thing gets, touches this thing and this thing touches your food, then you're defiled. Hear what Jesus says, verse 17. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Now, as Jesus is he differing with Moses? Is he saying Moses was wrong? No, of course not. Jesus said in the very beginning of the book of Matthew, right, in the Sermon on the Mount, that, that not one letter from the law would pass away until everything is fulfilled. He's not differing with Moses. He's not saying Moses is wrong, but he is saying that the law isn't, isn't complete in that it's not really fixing the problem. It's not just about whether or not you wash your hands. It's not just about the food you eat or you don't eat because you're defiled already. 
And what's coming out of you in your words and your deeds, this proves the problem. It's not just what you touch. The problem has always been inside of you, not what's on the outside and is going into you, not just other people might have touched something and so it's going to defile me. He says, no, the problem is already on the inside. It's already in the heart. This is where this is coming from. This is where the defilement is coming from. It's not coming from out there. It's coming from in here. This is what needs to be changed. This is what needs to be fixed. This is what needs to be cleansed. Because as long as this is defiled, as long as your heart is defiled, you can wash your hands all day long and you can eat this kind of food all day long and it's not going to fix the problem because you're already defiled. It's what comes out of you through your words and your actions that proves that it's your heart that is defiled. And this is what even the prophets would say, isn't it? What they needed was a change of heart. They needed someone to take out their heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. They needed God's spirit. They needed cleansing, not just outward cleansing, but inward cleansing so that they could be and stay holy. Now that's an amazing thought, isn't it? Even if you read through the book of Leviticus, and again, we read through Leviticus and we like, that's just weird and I don't understand it and it's just gross and there's entrails and blood and I don't know what all is going on. But hold on, wait. I mean, see the beauty of it. Because on the one hand, God, this holy God who is wholly different from any other God, from anything in creation, from human beings themselves, is inviting human beings into a relationship with him. And he's allowing them this little sneak peek And he allows them to get just close enough, just as close as they possibly can. But because of their own mortality and their own immorality, they keep getting kicked out. Not because of what God is doing, but because of what they're doing. They keep being defiled, not not just through bad decisions, but simply because they're mortal. Because they are what they are. They're, they're, They're dirt people. That's what humans are, right? We're dirt people. We're made from the dirt. God put us together, but we're weak and we're frail and we're human. And so we we just, we try and God tries and we try to be in the presence, but it only lasts for a second. But then a week or two goes by and something that you do intentionally or unintentionally defiles you. And so you're out again. And it's just this constant sacrifice and cleansing and sacrifice and cleansing and sacrifice and cleansing just to get close for just a minute. But this holy God, we just can't stay there very long. And then we're out and we're talking about just a small group of people that can't stay in his presence for just a minute. But there's this promise about this new covenant and this law that's written on their hearts this new spirit that God will give to them so that they will be totally and completely fundamentally changed from the inside out and stay holy, perpetually holy, perpetually cleansed and be in God's presence permanently and have God's presence in them permanently. And that's the gospel, isn't it? That's what we have in the gospel. That's what Jesus has done for us. In Jesus offering himself as a sacrifice, On our morning devotionals, we've been going through the book of Hebrews. Jesus is the once for all sacrifice for sins. Jesus sheds his blood so that his people can be perpetually cleansed, forever cleansed. One sacrifice for all time. And it's not like, oh, I'm bleeding or, oh, I touched a dead body or, oops, I I, I touched this thing accidentally or I went this place or I accidentally did that and so I can't be in the presence of God anymore. Nope. Nope, nothing like that anymore. 
one sacrifice for all time, for all people, and then God's spirit dwelling in you so that you are now the new holy temple. You are a living temple, a living sacrifice, a royal priesthood. You are all of those things from the Old Testament, all of those pictures and symbols and shadows. You are all of those things. You are perpetually holy because of the blood of Jesus and the presence of the Spirit. Look at 1 John First John chapter 1 and verse 5. First John chapter 1 and verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's good, isn't it? Ongoing, perpetual cleansing. One sacrifice for sins for all time. His blood cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, this is holiness language, isn't it? This is presence of God language. God wants you in his presence so very much. He wants to be in your presence so very much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. See, it's not just about morality. It's also about mortality. No more mortality. No more mortality. You're something else now. You're a human being 2.0, perpetually holy and immortal. You're going to live forever. And you say, yeah, I know, but this body is still wearing out. It's still mortal. And yes, that's true. But we've, we've already begun to taste of this life everlasting, this holiness. And we are perpetually cleansed so that we can be and God can be in our presence. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And we still have, we're, we're, sort of, we're sort of ahead of our time, aren't we? Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. We're ahead of our time and we're still living in this world of mortality. And there are still all of these reminders of our own mortality, aren't there? We're still surrounded by death. Every time we see an ambulance, every time we see a hospital, Every time we see a cemetery, there are these constant reminders of our own mortality. Now, those things no longer defile us. We're not defiled because we touch a, an ambulance or touch a, a, a bone or touch a body or touch blood. We're not defiled by those kinds of things. Why? Because of the perpetual blood of Jesus. Because we are made clean. We are made clean. We are cleansed by his blood. So they don't defile us, but they do remind us of our own mortality. And so that we anticipate the day where even our bodies are redeemed and are no longer mortal, but we are raised up in the resurrection to be immortal and imperishable. Someday everything that is, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, everything that is mortal will be swallowed up by life. See, this is, this is everything. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. And does it pertain to our mortality? Yes, new life, everlasting life, immortal life. But does it also pertain to our morality? how we live and what we do. Absolutely. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. 
verses 22 through 24. This is Paul's whole point. He's saying, now that you are in Jesus, you are a new creation. You're different. You have the old self before you were baptized. And now now that you've been baptized into Jesus, you have this new self. And he he starts in the beginning of chapter 4 laying out, therefore, therefore, since since you're brand new, the Spirit of God. We say Holy Spirit. We say that so quick, don't even think about it. Holy Spirit. The Holy, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God lives where? In us. Has taken up residence in us. And the only way he could do that is by your cleansing. So you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You've been sprinkled with his blood. And everywhere the blood is sprinkled. And everybody who continues to walk in the light as he is in the light. You are a new creation. You are perpetually cleansed. Perpetually made holy. And the Holy Spirit of God lives in you and dwells in you. And is working on you from the inside out. And that has to change the way we live. Because it's not just an experience. It's a lifestyle. Conversion isn't just an experience, it's a lifestyle, right? It's not just saying, oh, well, I experienced salvation. Well, yes, when you were baptized, you experienced salvation, but we need to continually be experiencing salvation so that our heart and our mind is being transformed, right? That's what Paul says in Romans 12. Again, offer your body as a living, what? Sacrifice. It's holiness language, right? Priesthood language. You're a priest, You are a holy priest. You are otherly. You are wholly different. You are a different kind of human being. Now, again, being a different kind of human being isn't about saying, oh, don't touch me. You you worldly people, you Gentiles, you otherly people, you might defile me. Jesus says, nope, it's not how it works. It's not where the defilement comes from. The defilement comes from here. And he's working on that. And you're working on that, changing you from the inside out. You don't have to worry about somebody on the outside defiling you, right? So sometimes when we talk about holiness and we talk about separation and being distinct, it's not about being separate as in like away from each other. That's not the way Jesus did holiness, is it? Jesus didn't say, whoa, whoa, I'm the holy one of God. Don't come anywhere near me. I can't be around sinners like all y'all. He didn't say that. He ate with them. And his holiness was shared with them rather than their defilement being shared with him. Look at Ephesians 4. He says, put off your old self, your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt. It's defiled through deceitful desire. Again, desires from the inside. Your old self is corrupt, not because of what somebody else did to you. Not because of Adam or your parents or anybody else, but because of your own desires. And that old self is corrupt. And you've got to decide now, based on what Jesus has done for you in the presence of the Spirit, to put off that old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Again, conversion, sanctification, salvation holiness is not just an experience it's a lifestyle it's not just what well, Jesus saved me so that now I can be saved and be with him forever yes yes but he saved you and he's saving you not just from the consequences of sin but he's saving you from the lifestyle of sin he's saving you from what that corruption was 
who we were. He's changing us in the spirit of our minds. He's transforming us by the renewing of our minds so that we may be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Isn't that amazing? And then, of course, he'll go on and be very practical about what this looks like. What does it look like to live this new kind of life, to put on this new self? And that's what Israel just kind of got a glimpse of it. Israel just kind of got a taste of it, where God was inviting them, put off regular humanity, put off mortal humanity, and put on this new kind of humanity, be cleansed, be holy as I am holy, but their holiness, I mean, it just kind of lasted for a second and then, and then it was gone. Some through just the regular course of human experience and some because of their own rebellion and sin. But now because of Jesus, he says, okay, now, now through Jesus, Jews and Gentiles, every nation, every ethnic group in the world, you can put on this new self, this new humanity be a different kind of human. What kind of human, Paul? A kind of human that is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then what does that look like? Well, it looks like loving each other and taking care of each other and loving our neighbors and doing all of the things that the gospel calls us to do, showing the same kind of mercy to each other showing the same kind of righteousness to each other, the same kind of kindness and fairness and equity that God has shown to us. Go and treat other people the way God has treated you. Be otherly, like this otherly. But again, sometimes, again, when we think about being otherly, when we think about being different, when we think about being distinct, when we think about being set apart, when we think about being holy, we think that means we can't have any, any interaction or we need to limit our interaction with people. No, we need to be saturated with who God is. We need to be saturated with the spirit and then go into the world not to be influenced by the world, but to influence the world. Be a conduit for the holy blessings of God. God always wanted his people to impact the world. Isn't this what the, what the Sermon on the Mount says? Isn't this what Jesus says? He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? If it becomes like every other piece of grain or every other mineral and it's not salty and it's not distinct, it's just like every other piece, then it's worthless. But it's also worthless if it's, not, if it's not somewhere where it can make an impact. And he says, you're the light of the world. You don't light a lamp and then put a basket over it and hide it. You let it shine so it fills the house with light. You're a city set on a hill to, to give light to all that are around. Our holiness doesn't mean to stay apart from the world. It means to show God, show the world rather, who God is. That the world might see the holiness and righteousness of God through the way that we put on this new humanity. So here's how we could sum it up. Our holy God is wholly different than humanity, but he invites humanity, including us, remarkably including us, to become wholly different with him by following Jesus. 
by following Jesus, by becoming a disciple of Jesus, by being baptized into him, we're given forgiveness, cleansing, the spirit of God. And then we're told to go out and to be wholly different. Wholly different than who we were before. Not to live by the flesh, but to live by the spirit. So that the world can see the holiness and the righteousness of God in us and through us. Be distinct, but don't don't be aloof, right? The holiness of God doesn't call us to be aloof, to keep ourselves away from the people in the world. It calls us to be salt and light in the world, to go into the world and to show people what the holiness and righteousness of God looks like by showing them the mercy and love that God has shown to us. And God has made us his wholly different people, this holy God. It's amazing, isn't it? That he would want us to be his teammates, to be his family, to participate with him in impacting and blessing the world, that he would want us with him and that he would want to be with us. But not only that, but he wants the rest of humanity to experience what we've experienced, to have the cleansing, to have the forgiveness, to have the presence of the spirit that we have So it's our job to go out and to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, to be a royal priesthood in the world because for that purpose, we have been made holy as he is holy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Father, we are just blown away that we are even able to thank you, that we are able to lift up our voice, that we are able to come into your presence with confidence, with boldness to approach your throne of grace. Father, we know that it's only by your grace and your mercy, by the blood of Jesus and the presence of your spirit that we can approach your throne and thank you for who you are and what you have done for us. Father, you are holy and we are but mortals. But Father, through Jesus, we are becoming something different. And Father, we long for the day when we will be completely made new. And Father, until that time, we pray that you help us to live in this new creation, to put on this new self, to walk in holiness and righteousness, to show the world just who you are through the way that we live our lives. Father, help us to live out our salvation, to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling before you because, Father, we are amazed and in love with who you are and what you have done for us. May we live in gratitude for all that you do and all that you are. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for your spirit. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.